Will you turn with me to Romans chapter 11 and verse 33? And I'd like to read from Romans 11, 33 to chapter 12 and verse 1. This is what Paul says. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 begins in the context of an exclamation of praise from, from Paul. And this praise is a result of his reflection on the perplexing work of God. He used the Jews who rejected Jesus Christ to bring the Gentiles to him. Then he used the pagan Gentiles to bring faith to Christ in Christ to the Jews. That plan baffled the mind of Paul. And, and the question he asks really is, who could ever come up with such a, a, a perplexing plan? And notice his response to this incredible work of God. Oh, he says, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and oh, how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? See, God's ways are different from ours. He does what seems to be absolutely impossible. And Paul found in his heart an overwhelming sense of awe at the complexity of God's purposes. Now, maybe you've experienced that in your life as well. We serve a God who takes tragedy and turns it into treasure. He, he takes misery and, and makes it meaningful. The circumstances of our life or the chaos of this world seem so overwhelming to us. But in the hands of a God whose ways are higher than ours, though not one of us could ever understand it, we can be sure his purpose will be accomplished and that not even one sparrow will fall to the ground without his knowledge. Continuing that reflection on the wisdom of God, the apostle goes on in verse 35 and 36 to say this, Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him... And through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. What could you ever give God 
that you've not received from him already. Everything comes from him. Everything is through him and his enabling, and all glory and honor is due him for it all. Now, John Newton, reflecting on this, wrote a hymn that he, that in, that's entitled, For Mercies Countless as the Sand. And let me just read a few stanzas of that. As he reflects on the fact that God is, God has everything, that nothing we give does not come from him. John Newton writes this. For mercies countless as the sands which daily I receive from Jesus my Redeemer's hands, my soul, what canst thou give? The best return for one like me, so wretched and so poor, is from his gifts to draw a plea and ask him still for more. I cannot serve him as I ought, no works have I to boast, yet I would glory in the thought that I should owe him most. As John Newton reflects on the fact that everything is from God and he gives him nothing that does not already come from his hand, he asks himself the question, what can I possibly give God? A God who is so glorious and wise, a God who knows everything and owns everything, what can I possibly give him? And he concludes that all he could possibly do is to keep drawing from his grace and mercy and end up his life as one who owes him more than anyone else. What can we give a God who owns everything? What can we do for a God who, to whom nothing is impossible? What can we accomplish for one without whom we, we could accomplish nothing? How can we serve one who, who must serve us first, or else we have nothing with which to serve? How can we love one who, who must first give us this love? Well, Paul answers that question in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 when he says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Notice first the phrase, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Paul appeals to the Romans on the basis of the mercies of God. And it's only on the basis of these mercies that any response is possible. It, it, it is his mercy that gives us the life so that we can respond to him. It is his mercy that gives us the passion to respond. It is his mercy that gives us the loving heart to desire him. And if we are going to respond to God in any way, you will have to reach and I will have to reach into that basket of mercies and draw out the strength, draw out the love, draw out the grace to be able to do so. It's not that I haven't tried to seek God and honor him in my own way, it's, but it's all too often the problem is that I've dipped my hand into the wrong basket. I've tried to do so in my own strength. I've disciplined myself to pray and to read and to testify, but the struggle is so deep and my flesh just isn't interested. 
Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, in verse 7, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The fleshly mind is hostile to God. It cannot submit to God's law. It cannot please God. And if you're dipping your hand into the basket of the flesh, there will be no support there for you. But the basket of God's mercy, however, is available to all who will reach into it. And as John Newton says, we must, from his gifts, draw a plea and owe him. Now, Paul goes on to tell the Romans that understanding the mercies of God, they were to present their bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, notice the wording here. Bodies is plural. They were to present their bodies, plural, as a living sacrifice, singular. So Paul speaks here to the church as a whole. They were to join together as a single sacrifice. Now, it's true that God wants our individual praise and worship, but that's not the point he's making here. God's mercies come in various forms, many different gifts, many different personalities, and those gifts are often very limited on their own. And in the church, however, they fit together like a well-engineered machine, and each part complements the other and needs the other to function as intended. And Paul tells us that we are to present our bodies, plural, to him as a singular sacrifice to him. We are to present them for the good of the whole. Now, the Greek word translated present here literally means to stand beside or to stand before. And the picture is of a servant standing before his or her master or a soldier standing before his or her military commander. And these individuals stand before their masters and officers for one purpose, and that is to receive their instructions. And they come with a willing and sacrificial heart. They know that they will be required to make a sacrifice, and they present their bodies knowing that it will cost something, that effort must be made, whether that's small or big, but whatever it is, it is important for the overall functioning of the body of Christ, and these individuals present themselves to be part of the big picture. The focus is not on them, but on the whole body as it brings glory and honor to the Father. These many bodies making a single sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom of God. Now notice the nature of the sacrifice that God requires. First, it's to be a holy sacrifice. The word holy implies set apart and in this case, set apart for God. These bodies we sacrifice are not ours to begin with. He, God, has set them apart for a purpose. He has forgiven and cleansed them with that purpose in mind. He has gifted them and shaped them particularly, and they are his. They have been set apart for him and his purpose. And so what we surrender to God is already his. We can 
cannot give to him what he does not already own. Second, these bodies are acceptable. These bodies are acceptable because they have been set apart. They're acceptable because God has called them for a purpose. They're acceptable because he has given them life and authority in his name. They're acceptable because his spirit is in them. And if you're like me, you'll struggle with that acceptability of your body. Listen to what Jeremiah says as, as, he has been, as he was called to present his body to the Lord. In Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 6, he says this, Then I said, Jeremiah speaking, Oh Lord, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Shall we declare unclean what God has declared clean? Paul calls us to present these bodies before the Lord, and we present them to him as holy, set apart for him. We present them as cold and clean and acceptable bodies because he has done that in us for his glory. And so the questions we ask are these, what can we present to an all-wise God? What can we give to, to a God who has everything? What can we do for a God to whom nothing is impossible? Paul tells us that we are to present our bodies to him as a living sacrifice. And notice what Paul tells us about this presentation of ourselves to God. In Romans 12 and verse 1, he says, It is your spiritual worship. All you can give to God, who has everything, all you can do for a God who can do all things, is worship. The word worship relates to a service due to another. And notice the nature of that worship. It's not just a song or a prayer. It is to present yourselves to him and offer yourself as a living sacrifice. All I am, all I have, all I ever will be, I offer it now, knowing that I offer nothing to you that isn't yours already and nothing that you haven't given first to me. We present ourselves as holy and acceptable sacrifices to God, confessing that we have been set apart, accepting his purpose and choosing to live in it, understanding that I am acceptable, unworthy as I am. Jesus is my worthiness and strength. So with boldness in him, I choose to walk in his purpose. And all of this is only possible by means of the mercies of God. I appeal to you, says Paul, by the mercies of God. I am unworthy, 
but he makes me acceptable. I am unclean, but he makes me clean. I receive nothing. I have nothing to give, but he gives me sufficient to return to him. I do not have the courage, but he gives me strength. I do not know the way, but he gives me wisdom. And John Newton, as he reflects on this again, continues in his hymn and says this, Alas, from such a heart as mine, what can I bring him forth? My best is stained and died with sin. My all is nothing worth. Yet this acknowledgement I'll make for all he has bestowed. Salvation's sacred cup I'll take and call upon thy, my God. When I have nothing to give, I'll call upon my God. And I will draw and draw and draw from salvation's sacred cup and glory in the thought that I should owe him most. What is our response to an all-wise and almighty God upon whom we are completely dependent? We draw upon his mercy. And we draw upon his mercy. And we draw upon his mercy and present ourselves before him in worship as a living sacrifice. And we don't stop drawing until our final breath. And we devote everything he gives back to him as our reasonable act of service or our spiritual worship. We live and die in his debt. We glory in the thought that we should owe him the most. <laughs> 